We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor on Community Radio, KilkennyCity.ie. Good evening if you want to if you prefer that one uh, way of describing the time of day it is. It's just about five minutes or coming up to five minutes past five. Morris O'Connor here with you again for today's Kilkenny Today and delighted to be back with you as usual. And of course, I've had a little bit of time, as you can tell if you're listening to the big jump, just to bed myself in and uh, get settled here at the desk. And thanks to Orla and Des for a lovely, interesting, fascinating, as usual, big jump. Uh, great to listen to their guests. I'm always scribbling down things and making notes and I'm about to go look at the website for the Irish Landmark Trust and see if there's anything that's a nice place to go for an old getaway staycation if we could manage it later on in the summer. That's if we get a summer. Um, it seems to have disappeared on us for quite a while. Uh, hopefully it'll come back. Not much sign of it um, for the moment anyway, but we'll have a little check-in on the weather sometime towards the middle of the show and just see if there's anything that we can remotely call optimistic coming up by way of some uh, good weather over the, certainly tonight or tomorrow. Anyway, not too sure about it, but anyway, we'll check in and have a look, see what Met, uh, Met.ie are telling us. Um, and as Des mentioned there just before the end of the big jump, indeed, we have a, uh, an interview with Malcolm Noonan TD, of course, the new Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform. I caught up with Malcolm um, while he was en route yesterday evening, actually, back down to Kilkenny from Dublin on the train. Uh, so we had uh, a good chat while he was while he was doing that, and thanks to Malcolm for facilitating that for me. Um, later on, we'll be hearing a, a completely different kind of subject. If you're somebody who has been either availing of the pandemic support payment or the temporary work subsidy scheme, this is very important. Um, I'm going to be joined on live on air by with. Uh, by, excuse me, Marion Ryan, who's a consumer tax manager for taxback.com. Because if you are availing of either of those two schemes, there is a possibility that you will be liable to be paying extra tax. Um, now, that might sound frightening, or where did that come from, says you. Uh, well, this is the way it is, and Marion is going to give us the details and the lowdown and why and how that's happening and how the revenue commissioners are approaching that particular thing. So, well worthwhile sticking around for that. As I say, if you or anybody you know is involved or uh, availing or benefiting from the pandemic support payment or indeed the temporary work subsidy scheme that's a must listen coming up around quarter to six um malcolm in the middle of the show somewhere around malcolm in the middle ah, if you remember the old tv station show but anyway that's uh, that's when he's coming up around about half past five um, but before all of that earlier on today i also caught up with uh, one of our more local politicians whom i hadn't spoken to for quite a while and i thought i'd like to to have a chat with and uh, see what's going on in his particular world. And that's Councillor Eugene McInnes, of course, the independent councillor here in the city. So I, I had a quick chat with Eugene earlier on this morning and I started off just by, uh, on you, not surprisingly really, I suppose, just by asking him how he's been since the pandemic arrived. 
Well, I think I, I, I've been fine, I have to say, but um, obviously it's a worrying time for everybody. I mean, uh, this pandemic has really, uh, you know, has uh, as caused an awful lot of damage right, out, right, right throughout the world. And I think with the risk of a second wave, I think we'd all want to be very, very careful indeed. And ha- has it been affecting your work as a councillor much? Um, well, it has been affecting my work insofar as if... Uh, if I'm doing any kind of work for a constituent, I, I like to call over to them. I like to see what the problem is rather than just phone calls. It's interesting to see what circumstances uh, they're talking about. And uh, I usually call. Obviously, I can't do it in this, in, 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 with the pandemic. And as a consequence of that, most of my work, all of it, in fact, is uh, by phone, which I find a little bit uncomfortable because, as I said, I like to meet the people directly. So... That has certainly uh, changed dramatically, and my council meetings um, are on similar calls such as this. Mm. So again, that that that's difficult. Uh, but we, we there is still so much work to be done. Uh, you, you know, it hasn't gone quiet. <laughs> yeah. So I'm still very very busy. Now I know I know that you had some publicity in probably just a couple of weeks ago at this stage in uh, the local newspapers and stuff around trying to find out. Um, uh, get to the bottom of how come that whole row of trees had just been c- completely vandalised and destroyed. There, um, I don't know. Did you get to the bottom of that, or has that been kind of closed off for you? Um, what happened there was obviously this is an ongoing issue. I mean, uh, you know, we were all young and we all did various yeah. things and thought we were, but this is just way beyond the pale. Um, yeah. I certainly have. I got into that. I I made a lot of phone calls. I went out on social media, which. A lot of people complain about social media, but in this case, it, it was very, very good. And uh, certainly I got out of that, I got names, um, and I passed them on to the guards. I only spoke to the guards the other day, actually. So that investigation is ongoing, and I wouldn't like to say much more about the investigation itself. Yeah. But certainly what I would like to say to anybody, because we're all responsible, you know. If we see anything like that going on in Kikani, vandalism of any description, report it immediately. Um, because we have to stop it. I mean, when you see the amount of trees, it was absolutely dreadful to walk to that estate, and it's a beautiful estate, and have all those trees just bent over. And somebody, there's always a witness. I was fortunate insofar as when I sent out the feeders on social media, I got a big response because people are sick of it. And uh, it's with the guards at the moment. Good. Well, hopefully there'll be some successful outcomes to that, and uh, at least we yeah. get the message across that it's not acceptable to, to happen because it's it's just pure destructive and, and totally negative behaviour, as you say. It's, messing, it's pure destruction. I mean, so yeah. these trees take so you know they take a while to grow and they look lovely, and uh, you know all the estates are like that, and we have to take personal responsibility. There's mm. no point in that's mm. the guard's mm. job or that's that's my job. If I see something going on, or if somebody sees something going on, and, and for some reason would prefer to contact me. Contact me and I'll deal with it. I'll pass it on to the guards. Yeah. yeah um, and yeah. that that is what has to be done. As I think they're like there is an element of fear around kind of interfering, particularly with anything that's kind of criminal or um, as as this is or that that was. Um, you know, some people are actually afraid to to intervene and if for their own personal safety, which is very understandable, I suppose. But as you say, um, you're quite willing to to take on the message and um, pass it on. And it's not even feasible to have CCTV cameras all over the place either, is it? No, it's not feasible. And I mean, if you look at, I've looked at these CCTV cameras, for instance, and uh, we have a number of around Kilkenny, and there's more of them, and they have their place. But I mean, you have. 
UK is the most per head of population CCTV cameraed country in the world. But the crime rates haven't dropped dramatically as a consequence. No, no. They certainly aid in prosecution. And uh, But as regards a deterrent, I don't believe they are a deterrent because what it actually does is it just moves the, the vandals to some other area where there's no camera. So you can't, it's not possible to have them everywhere. And I do accept that when people see damage like that being done, they're fearful themselves that if they give information that maybe they'll be targeted next. So what I'm saying to those people, if you see something like that, if you contact me, well then I will deal with the rest of it. I'll pass it on to the guards. I have no difficulty standing up there and saying, yeah, I dealt with that, it was me, I passed that information to the guards. I have no problem doing that. And if I see that kind of thing going on, uh, but certainly if they see it going on, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't advise to intervene. They pass on the information because of course, we don't want anybody um, getting into a situation like that, but the guards are well, are well willing and able to, to deal with all those issues. Well, that, as you say, that one is with the guards at the moment. Um, what else is on, on the plate yes. at the moment uh, with, with, with the current workload there, Eugene, as a councillor? Well, for me, um, I would say easily um, 80% are close to it is housing. Housing, housing, housing is what it is. We have a list... Uh, I'd say it exceeds, exceeds 2,000. Uh, obviously, you can't build those houses that quickly. Uh, there are so many people looking for houses now. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a heavy workload. And I'd have to say, before I was elected, even though I come from a political family and I'm, w I'm well aware of the political system, I would have been critical of housing. Uh, but I would have to say that the individuals and the staff down in housing are doing their absolute best and particularly through COVID because of difficult working conditions and, you know, you don't have full staff on all of the time and you have that workload uh, on top of you with that kind of housing list. Mm -hmm. I think um, people have to be somewhat patient, even though when I say patient, I can hear people now saying, patient, I'm on the list eight years and you'll have people that are on the list eight, eight years. But it has been slowly uh, dealt with as we go along and I think mm -hmm. that with this new government... I think they are going to throw an absolute fortune into housing uh, to try and sort the problem yeah. out. I think they're going to throw it in for the wrong reason, incidentally, but as a consequence of that, I think we're going to have a lot more houses built. Well, there seems to be a target, a really big target, uh, when you're talking about the new government, all right, to have uh, to a large amount of a large-scale housing building of, of social and affordable housing on publicly owned land. Um, do you have confidence that the delivery will happen? It won't just be all talk. I, I, I tell you what it is. I, uh, there's no doubt but it's needed. There's no doubt this is, this should have been. I mean, I, I, I think local authorities should have continued to build. I think it's the most efficient way of doing it. I think if you see the amount of money goes out there in rent relief in one way or another, there is billions go out there. Uh, it, it's much, it makes much more sense to build a house to, to, uh, for a tenant. You house somebody, you get, you get rent as a consequence, you can pay back those loans. But throwing out, you know, rent relief constantly, billions of it, is a complete waste of time. But the, to answer your question, have I got confidence? I have confidence that houses will be built. Uh, the problem I have, I think they're going to be built for the wrong reason. I think that this government, um, I think, will do anything and everything to prove to uh, the, the nation that they are capable and that they are going to fulfill their promise. I think the cost of that promise may be too much. That's what I think. I think mm -hmm. that Fianna Fáil know that if they don't produce, 
as a party, I believe, that Fianna Fáil are gone. They're dead in the water. I think that they've lost their identity, which is sad. I know an awful lot of Fianna Fáil people, as, uh, as, as everyone would know. Some of them work extremely hard. But I think as a party, they've lost, uh, I think they've lost their way. But I think, to get back to the question you asked me, I think that the money will be pumped in. I think the houses will be built. Uh, but I think for the wrong reason. Well, I suppose, the you might, yeah, I suppose if, there, if there are those people that you're regularly talking to her years on the waiting list, they probably won't be too concerned about maybe the reasons why, if it's for whether for Fianna Fáil to justify their continued existence or not. If they get a house, they get a house. And where it comes from is probably a secondary concern. Um, just speaking then of the new government, another aspect, of course, of, of housing, it's probably a smaller scale aspect of it, but it's part of the whole picture as well is the whole idea. And I heard Andrew McGuinness talking with uh, Fran Grinsel there just yesterday on um, Frank Grinsel and Business and Kilkenny today about um, revitalising the centres of town and people living above that. Now, that seems to be something that's going to fall under um, the wing of um, our new local minister, junior minister of state, Malcolm Noonan. Um, how do you assess Malcolm's prospects in making any progress, either in general or, or in, particularly in, in relation to well, town, town regeneration? I, uh, well, I, I, first of all, with regard to regeneration of our, of, of our centre of the city, um, during my election, I, I, I set that down as a platform. I think that we should. I think there's an awful lot of upstairs uh, apartments, etc., that we could use, and we could we could make our city a living city again. With regard to Malcolm, I sat beside Malcolm in council, and uh, I'll have to say, Malcolm, uh, whatever he got involved in, it was always well researched. Malcolm is an intelligent man. He has soldiered in the political vineyard for an awful long time. He has the experience. Uh, I don't always agree with Malcolm's approach, um, or indeed the Green Party's approach. But Malcolm, I think, will be an asset, of course. Uh, any, any representation that we have uh, at the higher uh, levels of government is, is to be welcomed. And I'd certainly take this opportunity to congratulate Malcolm. Malcolm has jumped effectively from a council seat into a junior minister's role. No, it's 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 quite a, a jump, and uh, I'd say it's quite a shock to the system. But I think Malcolm has the experience and is capable, and uh, I I would watch with interest uh, as to how he progresses. But uh, I'd have every confidence in Malcolm. I'd have to say, uh, as I said, uh, he was very effective as a councillor, and uh, he has his opportunity, and I hope he takes it. Well, I'm sure he appreciates your your good wishes for for uh, success for him anyway in his in his new role, and uh, it'll all it'll all appear and it'll be it'll be become clearer as time moves on. Um, so you get it, you're you're obviously busy busy man yourself. He won't really keep you um, much longer. Just one one last thing, another question that um, that Fran was uh, Grinsel was talking to Andrew McGuinness about just the other day, and indeed I was talking to Andrew myself uh, shortly after he was elected about it, was the whole reaction to around the city uh, centre to the one-way system. Have you been hearing anything about that? Well, I, I think that the, the big mistake that was made here was that it's not a, it's not effectively a one-way system. It was a social distancing exercise with a traffic management aspect to it. And uh, that's that's where it needs to be solved. Um, I Nobody wants disruption in their life, uh, and, and I certainly didn't. But I will tell you this, that the, engineer, the engineering department in the County County Council have gone through an enormous amount of trouble to try and get this right. This was, uh, this was brought in originally to achieve social distance in High Street and Rosin Street. And we can see with this pandemic, there are second outbreaks all over the world. Uh, and it's, it's worrying for everyone. 
Now, I know that businesses are affected, not only by the system that's in place, maybe, and the pandemic. But if this, if we get a second wave of this, businesses that are just barely struggling to open out are gone forever. So, mm. with regards to what we have, we have a social distancing uh, measure, and it has a traffic aspect. Now, with regard to that traffic aspect, when that, when that first uh, was introduced, it was introduced a few days early because of inclement weather and the need to get the markings down on the road. Now, people suddenly were met with this system, didn't totally understand it. The lights weren't timed uh, 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 properly at that time because it was brought forward. And there was other tweaking that needed to be done. Now, the man who's responsible ultimately here is Ian Gardner. And I can tell you, uh, having engaged with council over many years, I have never seen one man put in that much effort. He is on the town every single day. He is listening to businesses. He is uh, tweaking. He's, he's, the, the timing of the lights has been increased. All of that and all of that. And I can tell you this. Uh, I would prefer to spend an extra 10 minutes driving through this beautiful city than spend 10 days in the county hospital because of COVID. And we have to be serious about this. Mm. This is a pandemic. This is serious. Young kids are getting it now. And when people say, ah, well, should they get over it? Well, maybe they might. Mm. But their elderly parents might not. And I think and we probably, have to be serious about this. I think you probably hit Sorry? the nail on the I think you probably hit the nail on the head there in terms of uh, the way you were describing it. I think probably part of the certainly from what I heard, parts of the negative response was, was the fact that the council did have to um, bring it in a few days early, and people were probably caught on the hop. And unfortunately, it coincided with being a Saturday as well, which is when town would be likely to be a wee bit busier than than normal during the weekdays. So. None of, none of that helped, but uh, things do seem to be settling down anyway, and as you say, it, it does sound like as if it's the kind of trade-off that we need to be able to make to help avoid the, an impact of a second wave and maybe another shutdown, and as you say, people being uh, going out, out of business um, straight ahead. So, uh, council meeting, council business is going on anyway, regardless, as you say, even though it might be over Zoom or in, in, in the Watergate um, theatre, yeah. as it has been. Um, yes, it is, actually. Um we have our council meetings still. Um, we have them down in the theatre, as you say. Uh, other meetings, like I have um, an SPC meeting this afternoon, that's over Zoom. <coughs> now, I prefer not to be not not to have meetings over Zoom. As I said already, I prefer to see to, <laughs> the white of somebody's eye when I'm debating with them, or when I'm discussing, or what I want when I want information. But having said that, uh, needs must and whatever it requires to keep this going, to keep in contact and uh, to keep up the job as a public representative. As I said in the beginning, and I told the people in Kilkenny when they voted for me, uh, for the 20 minutes that it took them to out of their lives to vote for Eugene McGuinness, um, I, I, I'm giving five, five years of mine, and I will give that five years. So thanks for joining us, Eugene. Thank you very much indeed. There we go. That's independent councillor uh, Eugene McGuinness that uh, I recorded that conversation with earlier on this morning. And uh, thanks to Eugene for taking the time to do that and putting aside his preferences for being able to see the whites of people's eyes to do that uh, recording with me over Zoom. Um, it's, he's well used to it, I think, by the sound of things and well able for uh, making his point over the technology. Some interesting things he had to say as well. 
I suppose a bit of questioning of the survival prospects of Fianna Fáil thrown into the conversation there. Um, although, as he said, sadly, in his opinion, it sounded like as if he was uh, thinking that this government might be last chance saloon for him, Fianna Fáil, anyway. But I don't want to put words in his mouth on that one. Um, and also, he's quite complimentary, as you could hear, to um, the council staff, particularly Ian Gardner, in relation to the way the... Uh, the uh, I suppose the safe distancing management, let's not call it the one-way system then, safe distancing management has been rolled out in the city centre. Now it's uh, just after 23 minutes past five, about time we took our first ad break of the day and I'll be back after that with the weather and then we'll have a listen to a conversation I recorded yesterday evening with Malcolm Noonan, TD Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. Welcome back. 26 and a half minutes past five here on Kilkenny Today on Community Radio Kilkenny City. Uh, crkc.ie if you want to pass on that website uh, address to anybody who can't listen to us on 88.7 FM. And if you'd like to get in touch, you can, of course, text us 086 353 and we'd love to hear from you. Um, do listen on later on in the show, just about quarter to six or there thereabouts, if you are somebody who's in receipt of the pandemic support payment or indeed the temporary wage subsidy scheme, you need to listen to this because this is about a tax bill that might land on you at the end of the year. And uh, that's not the sort of thing any of us, I think, would want to be taken by surprise by. So do listen up. We'll have Marion Ryan, Consumer Tax Manager with taxpack.com, joining us on the line to explain what's going on with that one. Now, you'd want to have been, uh, I don't know where you'd want to have been uh, not to know by now that um, our own local TD, Malcolm Noonan, um, with the Green Party, of course, who was appointed earlier on in the week as Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform. And as Eugene McGuinness there paying time, his compliments are wishing Malcolm all the best in his role, did mention that he had had a very rapid rise from being a councillor here on the date of the last general election, which February the 8th or the 9th, um, was elected as a TD mid-afternoon on Monday, February the 10th, and now finds himself, whatever number of months it is later, four, five, six, whatever it is, months later, as a Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform in the Department of Housing. And yesterday evening, on his way back down on the train from Dublin to Kilkenny, I managed to grab a phone conversation and uh, recorded this conversation with Malcolm Noonan, TD. Malcolm Noonan, thanks for joining us here on Community Radio Kilkenny City. And first of all, our most heartfelt congratulations to you on your um, elevation. It's been a meteoric rise from, um, I suppose, February 8th or 9th when you were a, a councillor here down, down here in Kilkenny. Yeah, thanks, Morris. Uh, delighted and honoured um, to have been appointed as a Minister of State uh, for Heritage and Electoral Reform. And uh, had my first day's work today, full day's work in, in my new department met uh, my Secretary General and uh, my Minister, my line Minister, Dara O'Brien, so Minister for Housing. So it's been an exciting day and it's scary to be honest with you, but um, I'm looking forward to the challenge. And I'm sure you're, you're well up to it. Um, can you just take us through uh, a little bit uh, what your understanding is of your, your brief and the scope of it at the moment, Malcolm? Um, I think in, in your, I think I saw something online where you had mentioned yourself that you were also responsible for the Heritage Council. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, it's a it's a pretty expansive portfolio. It, it covers the entire heritage section. That's built natural and, cor- and cultural heritage. So I'm responsible for the National Parks and Wildlife Service. Uh, my assistant general, general secretary told me today that I own the Phoenix Park. Um, so that's just fantastic. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, but I'm also responsible for the Heritage Council for, um, as I said, Built Heritage National Monument Service um, and the National Inventory of Architectural Heritage, Waterways Ireland. Uh, so, as I said, it's quite an expansive portfolio. And then just to throw into the mix, um, the whole process of electoral reform, the delivery of the Limerick mayoralty in two years' time and uh, possible other directly elected mayors for 2024. So it's a big, big chunk of work um, uh, within the department. And, uh, you know, it t- takes it's going to be quite a bit of a while to, to, to get around the, the sheer scale and scope of it. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure as well. And uh, obviously, going back to the Phoenix Park thing, you've got some very eminent uh, tenants up there that you'll have to keep an eye on and look after um, with your colleagues in the, that are responsible I, I, for the Office of Public Works. Yes, I do. I'll, I'll drop in, I'm sure, for a cup of tea. I'm sure they'd, they'd be delighted to curve all to the, up there, him, the, the two of them and the dogs. Um, there, there was a little bit of controversy there, Malcolm, uh, on the, the national media around the, um, the Parks and Wildlife Service. Some quite negative reactions from prominent environmental organisations um, which uh, possibly when, when they, they might have heard or maybe they jumped the gun a little bit from your perspective until they had heard who it was that might be responsible um, for overseeing that area but how, how did you react to it when you saw that? Well uh, certainly uh, I think the, you know I'm going to try and meet with those organisations next week uh, my immediate task is to allay those fears and um, uh, to reassure the heritage interests and the NGOs in particular uh, Birdwatch and, and other organisations that uh, the department is staying intact, it's staying uh, it is moving um, in terms of department from uh, the, uh, the Department of uh, Arts, Culture, Heritage and Gaeltacht to the Department of Housing and uh, Heritage and Local Government so it is a, a significant move but it's moving in block that means all of the staff uh, all of the, the, the functions uh, the delegated functions of that department are coming under my remit and, and I suppose the added uh, bonus as I see it uh, is that we now have a, at cabinet level Eamon Ryan in his role as Minister for Climate Action and Environment um, which is a key role around the EPA and Senator Pippa Hackett as a super junior for um, land use and biodiversity. I think for the first time in, in the history of the state we have a very high level of ambition around uh, protection of nature and biodiversity. Um, obviously it's going to require significant resources, but I, I, I don't think that um, that we will ever ever have a better situation for nature in uh, in in government uh, at the core of government. Yeah, it kind of strikes me, Malcolm, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, you're getting a better handle on it than I am, obviously, but it does uh, coordination across all those departments it will be a key issue. I mean, you, you, as you mentioned there, you've got um, Pippa Hackett, the Senator Pippa Hackett, invo- um, appointed as a super junior minister. You've got um, Minister Raymond Ryan himself, you've got yourself, um, and you've got the the, um, uh, the the roles within the Department of Agriculture as well that have some impact uh, on the, the natural environment and uh, natural heritage and all of that. So, like, it, it does strike me that the, the task of coordination will be uh, tricky at times, maybe. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I, I'm, you know, I was impressed at meeting my assistant uh, general secretary this morning um, because they've compiled... Um, uh, a, a report based on the um, program for government and the, and the tasks around heritage uh, from their side of it. So there's going to be a huge amount of crossover and uh, not just if you look at uh, the work of local government uh, right across the heritage sector into agriculture and land use um, and uh, planning uh, roads, all of it is interconnected. So I think we have a 
big job of work, I suppose, to do in terms of readjustment of departments mm. and um, what goes where. But mm. that, that will become more apparent over the next uh, number of days and weeks. And that whole task list then that you mentioned that aligns with the Programme for Government, Malcolm, is there an overall um, Programme for Government project manager or somebody who has that kind of role to, to keep an eye on everybody and try and pull all the various departments and ministers and junior ministers and civil servants together on this? Yeah, there is. And, and I think that so there will be a, a Programme manager for the three parties of government and then there will also be individual for government managers within the parties themselves to make sure. So the, I suppose the unique aspect from our side of it this time around is that we ha now have um, a, 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 a an office of the Green Party on the same corridor as the Taoiseach's office, where which will be staffed with a, a, a senior officials to ensure that our aspects and that the work that we are prioritising the program for government will be implemented. So it is, you know, it's it's an, an unknown quantity in, because it hasn't been tried before. Uh, we neither have we had such uh, a, a very detailed program for government before, and for that reason, I think it does require that high level of support to uh, monitor and evaluate progress as as we go mm -hmm. through the next number of months and indeed years. So it's it's a big job of work, and it's a, it's a, a big unknown fact, factor for all of us. Right. But there's a high level of trust there, and I'm you know I was very impressed with meeting Daryl Breen today. He, you know, really said this is an equal partnership, and we work together. We we'll have weekly meetings, and I think, you know, I think that's really uh, to be commended, uh, and it sets a good work and work in relationship for the next number of years. Well, it sounds like a good start. Anyway, um, your own team, then I presume you have to expand. Obviously, you you have to take a few people on board to give you help out with various tasks uh, uh, on the day or very soon after you became a TD here down in Carla Kilkenny. But um, I'm sure that there's you need more people around you now to help you get to grips with the, the new role and advise you and guide you and look after you in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and you know, I think um, I still have among my team Larry and Grace and and both at constituency level and parliamentary assistant and uh, within this role I think there's an advisor role as well so I have to select that person carefully with the right skills that I need to, um, to carry out my work and try and do it as effectively as I can and make the best impact uh, for the ambition of the department because I know uh, my, my, my staff and the people within the heritage section are very ambitious for what we're trying to achieve so mm -hmm. there's obviously the ambition around natural heritage but you know I, I I'm keen too that the built heritage is, is given equal status, and uh, you know one of the big components I had in the government was the town centres. First, this idea of a big, broad approach to our towns and regeneration of our towns yeah, and villages. Yeah. So it's going to require um, it's going to require a lot of skills and input from uh, various, not just within the government departments, but also outside agencies and, and NGOs. Mm. I think we could probably have, um, when, when time permits, if it ever does, Malcolm, and uh, thank you again for joining us here in Camino Regio, Kilkenny City. Um, if, we, if time permitted, we could probably have long conversations about every single aspect uh, of your your brief and your portfolio um, as, it, as it unfolds over the next couple of years. Um, I know you're travelling on the train back down to Kilkenny at, at the moment and I hope you're having a pleasant pleasant trip. Just a couple of quick questions before we let you go then, um, Malcolm. Um, you're wearing a mask yourself, I believe. How is the mask wearing looking on, on public transport at the moment as, you, as you're seeing it around you? Uh, as I look around me, um, it seems to be a high level of compliance and uh, the trains are now you know, they're up to about 50% capacity they were at about 25%. So it's working reasonably well. I, I, you know, I certainly look at the 
Lewis and Dublin and buses. Their compliance isn't great in places. Um, and we need to get into a habit of wearing, of what I'm wearing is a homemade face covering made by my wife, by Jenny. And, um, you know, we need to get to the habit of having them hanging in the hall, ready to go, take the, your face covering with your keys. That's going to be the default for the next um, yeah. number of years. And, do you and think I, it, I really would love to... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, do you, think it, do you think the whole idea of making it mandatory is, is, is a practical one? I mean, it's, it's, it's an awful lot to depend on um, or to impose on, say, the likes of a bus driver or a Lewis dri- a tram driver or even a train driver, kind of uh, the, the idea of trying to police any of that sort of stuff. They can't really be expected. Yeah, I think you know, so. They? No, they can't, and it's, it's really difficult. And I also think that we've had a high level of compliance from a, what was advisory um, uh, measures uh, from government uh, and, and the HSE up to this, which has managed successfully to flatten the curve and, and, and suppress the virus in the community. Uh, yeah. So we, without having to go towards uh, mandatory actions, I do think we've had a high level of compliance. But... The, the, the masks are, I can't stress how important mm. enough they are, just mm. they're so vital as as, as a tool to ca- to help keep uh, the virus suppressed and if we're going towards reopening schools, whatever model of reopening schools we have in September and reopening the economy, I think the masks are absolutely essential and I really would love to see a higher level of compliance with them. No, it's, it's, as you say, it's probably a bit patchy at the moment. Um, Malcolm, I know you're a huge advocate of not alone of public transport, but of um, cycling and walking and all sorts of um, exercise and stuff. But uh, with the kind of busyness of the job that you're ta- you've just taken on, um, are you going to have to find yourself in a car at some point in time? And are you going to have an electric car at your disposal? We're, we're grappling with that, that thought at the moment. Um, I have in my head and have had for a long time uh, a Renault 4, but uh, I don't think that's going to be a practical solution to my driving needs because it's, uh, that's just a, I, I like I like have more of an affection for vintage cars than I do for modern cars um, I, I will probably have to, to do something on that line all right? mm. and, and I'll have to look at what's, what's the most sustainable option be it a hybrid or, or an electric um, so I, I'm the bike is, can only get me so far on Dublin. So, in, yeah. Indeed, and go through government procurement and all that uh, to, to, to arrive at that solution. And just one very last one for you, Malcolm. You're also a huge um, musician and musical fan. Um, is the Barflies going to have to go now? Or are you going to be able to dip in and put in the no, cake every now and again? I, I, I don't think so. I, I was talking to lads the weekend. They're hoping to get back to gigging um, at some stage in a socially distant setting. I would love to be able to come down and, and do the odd gig with the lads. I miss, miss the music so much. Um, and you know, the broader thing, I would love to see live music returning. You, I know you as a huge music fan as well. That uh, we have to work with the industry, and I think there's some really good initiatives being set up to look at how we can reopen live venues. And I think smaller venues have a better capacity or better ability to adapt. Uh, so I really would hope that we can stand in front of a band or a musician again and and, and hear live music because yeah. there's no comparison. I think it's the commercial model that the, uh, the venues are probably really going to struggle with the most and that may come back to yourselves around um, Cabinet and uh, various government departments for as, as uh, you know, in, in relation to possible financial support to enable things to happen um, with, with lower yeah. audience numbers. Um, it may be the only way out if, yeah. if that's uh, the arts and culture industry is ever going to really revitalise and uh, recover and start uh, doing what they do best again. Look, I think we'll leave you with that, Malcolm, just in case the train line uh, goes into a dead spot. I know there's some dead spots down there on, on 
the, the route down, unfortunately, down from Dublin here to Kilkenny. But um, look, it's been a pleasure talking to you and uh, delighted to have you uh, with us here in Community Radio Kilkenny City. And, and again, our very best wishes for uh, every success with your new portfolio. And hopefully you'll be able to join us again on regular occasions to give us an update on how things are going on. I, I certainly will. And, and uh, again, thanks for the support of uh, Community Radio Kilkenny City. It's fantastic. There you go. That was uh, Malcolm Noonan, TD, uh, Minister of State now, of course, for Heritage and Electoral Reform in the Department of Housing. And uh, if anybody out there knows where Malcolm might be able to source a vintage electric car that would tick all of his boxes uh, from the motorised transport point of view, I'd say, uh, on those occasions when he can't use the bike that he has or indeed take the train or walk. And uh, you might have also heard Malcolm uh, very likely tripping off his tongue that he now happens to be, on on behalf of the people, of course, the owner of Phoenix Park. Um, I just love the way he uh, he put that. Um, what, a, what a thing to be able to say you own the Phoenix Park. Um, but as I say, definitely on behalf of the people. Um, it's now 43 minutes past five o'clock, 17 minutes to six, and about time we took another ad break. But after the ad break, we'll be back with Marion Ryan, the Consumer Tax Manager for TaxPack.com. You do want to listen in for this one if you're in receipt of pandemic support payment or indeed the temporary work uh, support scheme. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor. Welcome back. It's just after 14 minutes to 6 o'clock. Now, as I said a couple of times earlier on in the show, if you're somebody or you know somebody who's been in receipt of the pandemic support payment or indeed the temporary wage subsidy scheme, you might not have heard uh, earlier on in the week some headlines uh, on various news media to the effect that you could be facing a tax liability of up to uh, in, and including around about €2,500. Um, that's not the kind of surprise you want to be facing, particularly at the end of the year or, or the start of next year. But joining me on the phone to explain what's going on with all of this is Marion Ryan, the Consumer Tax Manager with the local company Taxback.com. Good evening, Marion. And can you start, Marion, just by saying uh, how is this arising? Why are some people going to face this tax liability? Yeah, it's probably going to come to uh, as a major shock to a lot of people in relation to this. So I suppose since its introduction there in March, there's over a million people in the country that has received one or other payment. So they may receive pandemic unemployment payment or they may have received the wage subsidy. And both of these payments are deemed as what is called taxable income, but it's not deducted at source. So what that means is that people would have received the full benefit of the payment. So they would have received the full 350 euros a week, but they aren't aware that any USC or POE will need to be deducted at the end of the year there. Mm. What that means for people, those on the low incomes that are below the tax threshold of about 16,000 euros, they should be largely unimpacted by either scheme there. But of course, there's a certain cohort that will get affected more so than others. And unfortunately, it's the squeeze middle again. So anyone with an income between about 35 and 70,000 euros, they're likely to have a severe blow there on it there. So when we ran the numbers on those kind of salaries there, if we looked at someone that was on a lower income there, about €21,000, if they were receiving the pandemic unemployment payment, they'd have a liability there of about €150 at the end of the year, whereas that increases substantially then as you go up into the middle income earners and they could have a bill of about €2,400 at the end of the year. yeah, yeah, why why is it that the revenue you mentioned that it's not the, the, the kind of the tax with the PAYE tax and the USE due on that those sort of amounts as normal income it is due um, as deducted from source why couldn't the revenue have actually done this as part of the payment of PAYE and USE I mean they've got all the other information they need um, at hand yeah 
Yeah, and I suppose this certainly isn't criticism of the gov- government at all. I suppose the scheme was implemented so quickly and it was very much welcome and needed at the time. But when it was implemented, it wasn't put through the PAYE Anytime system, which means that there's no facility for the tax to be deducted at source there. So the only kind of outlet available to the revenue to recoup the taxes is by doing an end of year review there where they will effectively they'll balance the books. So they'll look at your total income for the year, so any employment income you would have had or any COVID payments that you would have received as well. And they'll then work out how much tax you should have paid on that income. Mm. They'll look at how much taxes you have paid and that's where the liability mm. will, will arise. And there. even at the lower end of the scale that you mentioned there, kind of starting off at about maybe €150, Euros, um, the start of the year, nobody likes getting an unexpected bill for anything, um, and least of all tax probably. Um, how is it going to be applied? Are people going to get a, a just a, literally a one-off bill in, in the popping in the post or in an email or how is it going to work? No, no, so that, that's something we need to reassure people about as well. The that's revenue, good. they won't be expecting PAYE workers to pay it up in a lump sum there. What's most likely to happen is that the revenue will do uh, end of year review, as I mentioned there. It'll be something that people may be familiar with to be called like a balancing statement. So they will do the end of year review and then if there is any liability in relation to USC and PAYE, what they're most likely to do is that they will reduce your tax credits in the following years, so 2021 and 2022 they'll reduce your credits there to recoup the, the payment there. So people will see it probably as a, an effective reduction in pay or an effective tax increase mm. for them there because they'll mm. be paying more taxes over the next couple of years yeah. to pay back that bill. That'll still leave people unhappy, of course. Nobody wants okay. um, anybody to take money off them, as I said, least of all um, the revenue. But it, it does happen, I think, even with um, people on, on PA, what they'd regard as ordinary PAY in- income, that um, people can still have um, tax credits that they're uh, they're perfectly entitled to that maybe they don't realise or they haven't claimed fully or haven't claimed at all. Um, and, and we are entitled to go looking for those from, um, back from the revenue and they do have pay them back to us. So if there are any credits that people have, even if they don't know about them, will the revenue offset any kind of uh, bill arising from this um, pandemic unemployment payment or temporary works, uh, wage subsidy scheme? Will, will they um, offset the bill against their any unclaimed credits? It would be ideal if they did. So the tax office will they'll take into account your standard tax credits or any tax credits that you already have existing on your file. But unfortunately the, the tax office they're not going to know your personal circumstances. So there's things like your medical expenses, e work or relief. There'll be several different things that may have cropped up during the year that you'd be entitled to tax relief in relation to. Mm. So they won't know about it, they won't be able to take it into account. And also as well, the tax office will only issue you tax credits that you have previously claimed with them or made them aware of. So if you've never claimed for a certain tax credit before, they're not going to know about it and they won't take it into account. So it's really important for people to kind of get a little bit more tax savvy. This year, I know a lot of PUIE workers would have always before be kind of rest assured and say, well, look, my employer looks after yeah, all my taxes. Yeah, I was taxes, just going to say, yeah, you would. Yeah, you could be forgiven for thinking that's the job of your employer. You just show up for work and you get paid and it's your employer's job to make sure yeah. that, that your payroll yeah. goes through properly and all of that. But I suppose in, in, yeah, there may be things. What are the kind of typical things, actually, uh, based on, on what you know and dealing with people, Marion, um, the, the kind of things that people can claim some tax credits for, that, but they typically don't either realise that they have yeah. the entitlement to that or they just don't get around to, to making the claim? Yeah, well, I think, first of all, the, the ones that are commonly known and still aren't claimed a lot is the likes of medical expenses. So any doctor's visits you have during the year is prescription fees or anything like that. Non-routine dental work, like 
wisdom tooth removal, braces and stuff like that, you can get back 20% on them. So a lot of people don't realise that or if you're going to the doctor and you have a prescription that's 10 euros a month. If you're claiming that back over the space of four years, it can all add up. So what we're trying to encourage people to do is start thinking about their taxes, start thinking about what they may be entitled to. Another one that's going to be really relevant to people this year is there's a tax relief called e-worker relief and that's a tax relief that anyone that's working from home can claim. So that's become really common as well. I think a lot of people were sent home in March to work from home and, and, and are still there. So there's a tax relief that could be claimed back in relation to that. And what, Again, how does that one work? That's something I've never heard of anyway. Yeah, it's what it is. It's in relation to the additional costs you'd have for utility bills for working from home. So you're naturally you're going to have increased electricity bills because you're here working for 8, 10, 12 hours a day that you weren't here before, heating bills, your Wi-Fi and stuff like that. So the tax office will deem 10% of your household expenses as a business expense for time that you're working from home. Now, there does have to be a formal agreement in place with your employer. So your employer would have had to said, send you to work from home or you agreed that you work from home certain number of days in the week. It doesn't apply to, say, people that are quite enthusiastic and bring their their work home with them in the evenings yeah, and weekends. Yeah. yeah, now yeah. the relief for it, it's, it's not huge. It depends on the amount of your expenses. It, it, but it could be up to about 60, 70 euros per year. So it's definitely something to take into account as well. So it's all these little building blocks. So you take your medical expenses, you take your e-worker relief. The things are all called flat rate expenses and they're based solely on your occupation. So yourself, for example, if you're a journalist, you'd be entitled to what's called a flat rate expense of 381 euros a year. If someone is a shop assistant working in retail, they're entitled to the same flat rate expense of €121 Euros a year. If you're quite talented musically and you're in the RT concert orchestra, you get over €2,400 Euros a year. So it's all these kind of quirky little niche things that people mm-hmm. aren't aware of there that we're trying to highlight yeah. and get people to take well, I mean, there, there might be, on, on those ones, obviously that's one, um, one that you last mentioned there, it jumps out. I'm, I'm, I'm neither a journalist nor a musician, as, as it happens, <laughs> nor to where I work in retail. Um, but the, the an allowance like that, there are plenty of... Um, self-employed professional musicians around uh, around the city and the county indeed that might be listening uh, is, is is that that sounds like quite a, a chunky kind of relief is that what what do you have to be or do to qualify for something like that it's based on your occupation the flat rate expense is actually uh, quite an easy tax credit to claim relative to other ones there's, there's no major evidence you need to provide there's no receipt terms like that it's based solely on your occupation so if you're if your occupation is shop assistant and you're working in pennies, for example, downtown, or if you're working in done stores, you'd be entitled to that based solely on your occupation. It also, a lot of the building industry will be entitled to it. So say carpenters, for example, even labourers, to varying amounts, engineers, there, there's over actually 200 mm. different occupations that will be covered by flat rate expenses. Yeah. And like with everything else, that can be claimed back for four years. So again, it, it all builds up there along the way for people. Which all really points to, um, I suppose, the encouragement, if you like, to, uh, for people to get interested in, in the tax that they're, they're paying and not make the assumption, the simple assumption that it's the employer's job to look after all of that for themselves because uh, the employer probably, in a lot of cases, doesn't know people's detailed circumstances, certainly not in relation to medical expenses yeah. um, and, and anything else, whatever about e-worker relief or knowing what their, their, their employees are. It's actually not the employer's responsibility either. Do you know this? So mm. the employer, their responsibility is they will get your tax credit certificate at the start of the year and their job is to apply that 
four to twelve months for you there. They're not in a position, and they 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 shouldn't be. They don't have the right to kind of quiz you on your circumstances to see if you're entitled to to something additional. Yeah. It always comes back onto personal responsibility. Yeah. It, yeah. It's our responsibility to kind of know what we're entitled to and claim it. Now that's very easy for me to say when I'm working in taxes for ten years and I know everything that I'm I'm entitled to there. So that's why we've been encouraging people to start thinking about your taxes. Reach out to someone that does. Doesn't yeah. know about taxes. Yeah. You're unsure. Yeah, your 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 role is you're the consumer tax manager for taxback.com, Marion yeah. Ryan, and thanks for joining us again. Um in, in relation to all of this, is there any kind of relevant service that taxback.com offers that people can avail of if they've been interested and their ears pricked up listening to this conversation? Yeah, of course. So what we can do at the moment, currently we can review 2016, 2019 for refunds for people. And during that, that that conversation, then I suppose we can establish what tax credits people are currently entitled to there, so we can make sure that they're taken into account for 2020 as well. I suppose if anyone does, does want to get in contact with us, they can either visit our website or we also have a free text number. They can text the word money to 50400 and we can give them a call back on Monday. Or if they want to speak directly to myself, they can all pop me through an email. It's mryan at taxback.com. They can right. pop me through an email and we can look after mm. them. Okay, well, that that may stimulate some people, right? Particularly when it's a prospect of either avoiding, avoiding the liability that's going to arise, as you were saying, is going to arise at the end of the year, or indeed um, claiming some credits that they um, they haven't haven't already claimed. Uh, just one last question for you, Marion. Back to the about the thing itself and this liability. Like, was it publicised by Revenue or any other arm of government at, uh, when when the scheme was introduced that people needed to watch out for this? Yeah, well, I suppose they were clear that the revenue from the outset that these payments would both be subject to POI and USC, but I suppose the problem is that most people weren't aware what that meant, mm. and at the time they were just happy to be receiving some sort of a payment, and whether there was a notification on the revenue website, a lot of people weren't going to go to the, to the revenue website, so they did. They, they were clear about it, but they, they may not have been screaming it yeah. from the rooftop. Kind of, sounds, yeah. kind of sounds like the kind of thing that really should be should have been more widely publicised in that context. Look, it's been great talking to you, Marion, and I hope listeners have found uh, this informative and will keep a watch out for anything that any liability that might arise for them later or in yeah. the year or to the start of next year. So thanks a million for joining us, Marion. Have a lovely weekend. You too, thank you. Thanks, cheers. That was Marion Ryan, Consumer Tax Manager for Taxback.com and uh, as she said, if you do want to look for a consultation with them, you can t- t- text money M-O-N-E-Y to 50400. That's all we've time for on today's show. Thanks a million to Anne Nolan, as usual, for helping me organise the guests and indeed to my guests, Marion Ryan there, of course, from taxpack.com, uh, Minister of State for Heritage and Electoral Reform, Malcolm Noonan, TD from the Green Party, and indeed to uh, kicking off the show with me, I'm Eugene McGuinness, uh, local independent councillor. Um, and uh, we'll be back uh, with another Kilkenny today on Tuesday, or I will anyway, on Tuesday. In the meantime, we'll have the Angeles and we'll have um, the Community Diary and uh, after that a repeat of Kjolsa Kishten with Sharon O'Cossidy. Uh, do have a lovely weekend and I look forward to talking to you and being back with you again on uh, Tuesday next. Take care. Have a good weekend. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM.